and welcome to Infectious Diseases Hub. I'm Martha, the editor, and today I'm joined by Dustin Farr, a graduate student from Michigan. Okay, so I'm from Michigan, Detroit area originally, and I stayed uh, in Michigan for my undergrad. I went to Michigan State. I was a clinical laboratory science major, so I was definitely more bacterial when I started out, and I worked in a hospital for <laughs> two to three years, uh, and then I went back to school at University of Michigan. I got my master's in public health in hospital and molecular epidemiology, but I also did research in Gary Huffingle's lab, who works on lung and gut microbiome, and so that was kind of my first big research experience, and then that kind of got me into wanting to pursue research farther. Dustin is currently at Wayne State University working on his thesis. However, at the recent ASM Microb meeting in Atlanta, he presented some research which, although not his main focus, was an interesting insight into Zika virus and its infection of corneal cells. And we're about to find out a bit more about this. So my project is looking at corneal cell infections. Most of the work that's been done with Zika has been in retinal tissue. I mean, that's the big cell type that we're most worried about. But a recent, well, it was about a year and a half, two years ago now, I think, a study in vivo in mice showed that not just retinal tissue is being affected. They saw Zika virus RNA in tear secretions, conjunctivitis, lacrimal gland cell infection, corneal cells was the big one. So there's a number of other cell types in, in the areas being affected in the eye, just not retinal tissue. So with those being really new findings, we wanted to look at human corneal cells, see if those are being affected. And so that's what we based our study on. We did time points control 244872, where we saw a really nice infection with, with a couple different strains of Zika virus. And then we looked at the innate immune responses, recognition receptors on the cells, cytokines, interferons, <laughs> things like that. Dustin mentioned a protein, termed ISG15, which among other functions has antiviral properties. And he told us a bit more about this, including the results of a study his lab did in mice, which investigated the effects of ISG15 on Zika virus infection. So our lab has done a lot of work with ISG-15. So ISG-15 does a number of things, but it also has direct yeah. antiviral properties for a number of different viruses, HIV, Ebola, all kinds of stuff. Um, so one study that we did, that I wasn't a part of, but it was done before I was in the lab, sure. was with ISG-15 knockout mice. And with those knockout mice, um, there was a much higher rate of infection. Yeah. We kind of focused on ISG-15 for this study too. There was a huge increase at like 48 hours with ISG-15. So then I knocked out ISG-15 with siRNA. I added recombinant ISG-15 protein. And with the recombinant protein, you have a huge decrease in infection. Yeah. With the siRNA, when you knock out the ISG-15, you have a uh, huge increase in infection. So it just shows that ISG-15 has a big role in Zika yeah. virus infection as well. I'm not quite done with the, with the whole study yet. Going forward, I'm probably going to be looking at what is the signaling pathway of ISG-15. Sure. So TLR3 is a big viral receptor. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's maybe going through TLR3. Um, I'm going to be doing those kind of same experiments with TLR3, knocking out TLR3, seeing what the ISG15 levels are, seeing what the infectivity looks like. Um, maybe also RIGI. RIGI is a big uh, viral receptor as well, so be looking at doing those same experiments in, in RIGI. But then we also wanted to compare with dengue virus. So using all four strains of dengue virus, I looked to see if any of them would actually infect corneal cells, and dengue virus 3 was the only one that did. And then we compared the immune profiles for those. And there was much earlier increases for cytokines, interferons, uh, the recognition receptors, all those things, much, much higher earlier on as compared to Zika virus. That kind of has wrapped it up to this point. With exciting results in in vivo models, I asked us in what implications his findings might have when translated to clinical settings in the future, including the risks of Zika infection in corneal transplantations. 
Yeah, it's that's a big a big thing with this is the clinical significance because corneal transplantation is actually one of the highest number of transplant procedures performed, which is really surprising. Estimates of around 200,000 last year. Yeah. And so with Zika virus, a lot of times people don't know that they have an infection, they're asymptomatic, something like reports of around 80 to 90% of people don't actually realize they have it. Yeah. And then when you don't realize you have it and it can be transmitted sexually, you could pass it on and then that person dies and you can see a situation where someone has the, the virus, they don't know it, and then their cornea is transplanted to someone and they pass it on like that. Yeah. So definitely big significance clinically for that kind of stuff. Of course, there's been a lot of research around Zika since the public health emergency was declared in 2016. And lots of new methods of transmission have been discovered, including sexual transmission and this new possible route via corneal transplantations. Dustin told us a bit more about what he thinks is left to uncover in terms of Zika transmission. Yeah, I think a big thing right now is figuring out reservoirs where the virus can persist, especially sexually transmitted ones. Reports of Zika virus being detected in seminal fluid for up to like six months. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really, really a big thing. For us in the cornea, how long is it going to persist in the cornea or in the retina? Because the eye is a immunoprivileged site, could persist in corneal cells or in retinal cells. Yeah. So I think that's really a big thing is seeing where it's persisting at, yeah. how long it's persisting for, and then yeah. how that's going to affect transmission. Do you think that's a priority in terms of research on the virus? Uh, I think so. Yeah, definitely. There's been studies in our lab looking yeah. at how long is the, is the virus going to hang out there. So sure. it's, it's definitely uh, something that's very important. Despite huge publicity, since 2016 Zika has slightly moved out of the news. And Dustin shared his view on this and the importance of keeping Zika in the public eye to meet targets such as developing a vaccine. I think it definitely uh, definitely needs more focus. I think yeah. a lot of times when there's a big outbreak and you have things like microcephaly, the media picks up on it and it's kind of a hot topic. It was like, okay, we don't know what's going on. We don't know why all these microcephaly cases are yeah. happening and it's a shocking image. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of gone away because the epidemics in Brazil and in Central America have calmed down a little bit, but the research definitely needs to be there for things like vaccine. There's been some trials that I think have reached phase two, a couple of them, and yeah. so there's still not a good vaccine for Zika, but a lot of work needs to be done. Thinking again about a vaccine, I asked Dustin what his vision for the future was and what research he thought was necessary in the next five to ten years. Probably a vaccine coming out. The tough thing with the vaccine development is the potential for cross-reactivity with other flaviviruses. Yeah. That's one thing where if you get one strain of dengue virus and then you get another one, you have antibody-dependent enhancement where the second serotype of dengue could actually give you a much more severe infection. Yeah. And so yeah. there, there's thought that with other flaviviruses, you can actually have the same thing. So okay. if you have an infection with Zika and then dengue, yeah. you could get a much more severe infection. And so that's one thing with developing the vaccine you have to take that into consideration. And then the other thing with developing vaccines is with live attenuated vaccines, if you give it to a pregnant mother, it could actually be passed right. to the fetus yeah. and actually have detrimental effects that way. So the vaccine field with developing it for Zika has got a lot of challenges and I think yeah. that's really within the next five to 10 years, a lot of work needs to be done there. Thank you for listening to this ID Hub Talks podcast from Infectious Diseases Hub. You can find more podcasts as well as news, interviews and opinion pieces at www.idhub.com.